My wife will do kids if you guys want to go with her. She'll be more exciting than I will, I promise. <laughs> God bless you guys. Have fun. Oy. Well, if you have your Bibles with you tonight, let's go to the book of Isaiah. We're going to continue our journey through the book of Isaiah on Sunday nights. And uh, we'll find ourselves in chapter 38. And the plan is 38 and 39. We'll see. My plans and God's plans aren't always the same. Anybody else ever experienced that? <laughs> Works out that way occasionally, don't it? Now, as we looked last week, in, in the first, we actually enter into the second portion of the book of Isaiah in this chapter. Prior to this, the enemy of the nation of Israel was Assyria. And the prophecies given by Isaiah were about the Assyrians that were coming. First, remember the kingdoms are divided into two, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Ten tribes in the northern kingdom, two tribes in the southern kingdom. But remember, the scripture declared to us in the, in the book of Chronicles that those who desired to follow the Lord, they moved south. Those who desired to live their life wild and free and, and not submit to, to the Lord, they moved north. So basically, the nation divides itself in terms of who will be the faithful remnant and who won't. And we know in the northern kingdom, no good kings, they struggled all the time. In the southern kingdom, they kind of went up and down, up and down. But we found ourselves last week dealing with Hezekiah. And Hezekiah in chapters uh, uh, 36 and 37 is faced with his enemy, Shennacherib. Shennacherib, remember, was uh, the ruler of the Assyrian nation come against them. And over and over again, God had told Hezekiah, don't put your faith in anything else. Put your trust in me. Don't put your faith in all the other junk of life in, in, in Egypt. Don't put your faith in, in any other nation to stand by you or might or arms. Put your faith in me. And over and over again, Judah tried to put their faith in everybody else. And all of those plans failed until all they had left was the Lord. You know, remember, Shennacherib told Hezekiah, nobody's going to be able to save you from my hand. And God said to Hezekiah, He's not even going to shoot one arrow in this city. He's not going to lay one siege wall. He's not going to do anything. Hezekiah receives a letter and he takes that letter and this letter says all the horrible things Shennacherib's going to do to him. And literally Hezekiah takes that letter and opens it up before the Lord and says, Lord, this is what he says he's going to do. Help us. And God helped. That evening he sent one angel to dispatch 185,000 Assyrians. And in the morning when they woke up, the army was decimated. Shennacherib ran back home where his two sons killed him and his youngest would take the throne. Now we begin, as we take a look, we're still in that area of Isaiah that is historical. These aren't prophecies, but they deal with the historical things that were taking place around the first half of the prophecies and leading to the second part of the book of Isaiah. In chapter 38, verse 1, look what it says. It says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick. That phrase, in those days, means around that same time. Actually, chapters 38 and 39 come before, in chronology, uh, 36 and 37. In time, this is before Shennacherib, but it leads to something yet future. That's why Isaiah places it here. And we'll see that 
when, uh, if, we'll, if we'll follow the example of Hezekiah that he gave us in 36 and 37, we'll be much better off than if we follow Hezekiah's example in 38 and 39. You'll see what I mean as we go on. It says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus said the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. The Lord said to Isaiah, go tell him he's not going to get better. But I think in this verse there's a promise for you and me. Sometimes we get this idea that we can always procrastinate and do it tomorrow. Well, I'll take care of that tomorrow. I'll take care of that tomorrow. But listen, when we study the scriptures, we read in 1 John chapter 3 that he desires, the Lord wants us to constantly be ready for him, to be looking for his return and busy about the things God's calling us to do. And he says, everyone who has this thought within him purifies himself even as he's pure. Everyone who lives that day, this is a day that the Lord has made. This is an opportunity for me to come face to face with God. So in that, I want to live this life to be well-pleasing to him. I want to live this day to be well-pleasing to God. Well, that same thing that we talked about this morning is what, what Isaiah is giving here. Listen, get your house in order. Get your house in order. It's, it's, it's too late to think tomorrow I'll spend time with my kids. Tomorrow I'll teach them about the Lord. Tomorrow I'll be a better example because we never know that last moment. But God knows and he tells us live every day. As though that's the day we'll come face to face with him. And if we do, we will not be disappointed. We won't have that regret that we look back and say, Oh, I wish I would have taken more time. But he says here, set your house in order. So Hezekiah in verse 2 turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. Now more probably... Hezekiah is turning his face to the Lord. He wants to, to get alone. Here's the prophet just gave him bad news. You're not going to get better. You're going to die. Get your family in order. Hezekiah turns to the wall to cry out to the Lord. Hezekiah is learning that the most important thing we can ever do is go to the Lord. Seek his face. Bring the issues that we have in our life before him. To, to seek that that place, his presence, where, where we have the benefit that Paul would tell us that we can enter boldly before the throne of God. Enter boldly into the throne of grace. Enter boldly into that place. Even as his son comes before the king without appointment, we too can enter into that place and call upon the name of the Lord. We've been discussing in the last few few weeks uh, a move of God's spirit moving within our body here desiring that God would do a work in us a work of of revival in us that would spread to the people around us and we know that that work revival has to begin in us and how does it begin second chronicles chapter 7 tells us my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray when did Hezekiah pray when the Lord told him he was going to die when do we seek God's face the best? When times are hard. When the storm is blowing, when the waves are tossing us, when things are crazy, man, we will seek the Lord's face. And he wants us to seek his face. 
But we need to learn to seek his face not only in those times, but in all the, all the time. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, what does it tell us? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. Don't make your own plans. Don't think you know best. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. The Lord will guide. We want to seek his face. This is what Hezekiah does. He turns his face toward the wall, and he prays, and he says, Remember now, O Lord, I pray. How I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah whipped, wept bitterly. Now, Hezekiah, as he's pleading his case here, is a little amiss. Hezekiah has not been all that great. He's kind of gone up and down. He's done good things. He's done bad things. But he does strike on something that's important, and that is this. Not that he walked before him in truth, but that he walked before him with a loyal heart. That much of what Hezekiah prays is true. Hey, if our heart is toward the Lord, God meets us in that place. If we're caught up in pride and thinking, you know, everything I'm doing good, everything I'm doing is right. You know, I'm not so sure that, that we have an accurate view of where we are. I'm not so sure Hezekiah always walked in truth. In fact, I read in Second in Chronicles, that's not what I read about what's going on with Hezekiah. But the point is he had a loyal heart. That means his heart was to follow the Lord. Is your heart to follow the Lord? Is your desire to seek after him? This is what Hezekiah basically prays. Lord, my heart is to do what you want for me to do, what you have for me to do, to follow you. And then he wept. What did Hezekiah want? More time. You ever met anybody on their deathbed that didn't want that? A few more days, a few more years, a little more time. The psalmist would write, Lord, teach us to number our days. That we might have a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Why? So that we would realize that every day is precious and don't waste one. Don't waste them. God gives us the same thing every day. 24 hours. How are you going to spend it? How are you going to spend it with Him, for Him, unto Him? What are you going to do with that 24 hours? Hezekiah cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, I want more time. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, now listen, has Isaiah left? Isaiah walks in. You got to picture it. Isaiah walks into the throne room. He tells the king, you're going to die. And then the king turns his back on Isaiah, prays to the Lord. And immediately the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah, hasn't even left the room yet. Has not even walked out of the room. The word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. And he says, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. God gave Hezekiah second chance. Now a lot of people, when they, when they do this, they look at Hezekiah and they look at the fact that In these 15 years, Hezekiah is going to give birth to Manasseh, which is the worst king the southern kingdom ever had, the most brutal king, in fact, the one who will be responsible for chopping Isaiah the prophet in half. But at the end of Manasseh's life, he comes back to the Lord. 
And the Lord meets him in that place of, of repentance and forgiveness and restores a relationship with Manasseh. How can we say it was a mistake for Hezekiah to ask and or for God to give? I don't know if, if that's the point of what God's doing here. What I think the point is, Hezekiah gets a second chance. Anybody here ever had a second chance? How are you going to spend your second chance? For me, I know that there was a time in my life when doctors and society could have guaranteed to you I would be dead today. No way he's going to live. No way he's going to make it. No way his marriage will survive. No chance at all that he has. What does God do with no chances? He makes them work out. Here I am, 24 years later, still kicking, still married to the same beautiful lady, three boys, all the things that men said couldn't. God gave me a second chance, just like he did to Hezekiah. And what I hear in, in the scriptures as I see this and as we'll read about Hezekiah's praise in a moment is what are you gonna, how are you going to spend your second chance? What are you going to do with the gift that God gives us? What are we going to do with the gift of the next day that the Lord lays out before us? Are we just going to take that day and, and wad it up and toss it and, and spend it on our own lusts and our own desires? Or are we going to live that day for the Lord? Are we going to look for an opportunity to honor Him in the things we do? That doesn't mean we have to quit our jobs and all become preachers. That wouldn't work out very well, would it? But it does mean wherever we find ourselves, wherever we are, we're called to be His martus, His witness. His witness to the people around us that we might shine forth the light of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. That's the attitude that we want to have. So the Lord gives him 15 more years. Look at verse 6. I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Now, remember in chapter 37, that already occurred. So remember, as we said, chapter 38 falls prior in chronology. The Lord's going to deliver him from Assyria. So he's going to give him 15 extra years. He's going to deliver him from Assyria. And this is a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this which he has spoken. Behold... I will bring the shadow on the sundial, which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. Now, here's the reality. Second Chronicles gets into it a little more. This is what it says. Second Chronicles, Isaiah goes to King Hezekiah and says, King Hezekiah, what sign do you want? Would you want the time to move forward or do you want time to go back? And Hezekiah, thinking time going backwards will be harder, so that's a better sign, says, I want time, time to go backwards 10 degrees, 45 minutes on the sundial. And the Bible says time went back 45 minutes on the sundial. Now, a lot of people get crazy about this. How did he do it? Did God stop the earth and change his rotation? Did the Lord move the sun? What did he do? All I know is God, who spoke, and everything came to be, has the ability to roll back time 45 minutes. Well, I don't really have a big problem with that. Other things seem a little more difficult to me than the God of the universe rolling back time 10 degrees. 45 minutes, he moves it back. Just to say, Hezekiah, I'm going to do what I said. 15 years, king of Assyria, I'm going to take care of. And to prove to you that I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to scroll back the clock 
45 minutes. So the Lord rolls back the clock and King Hezekiah uh, sees it. This then, in verse 9, is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. So Hezekiah wrote a song. This is a song Hezekiah wrote. I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. But there's been more than one person who could echo those sentiments. How many people have been struck down in their prime? Cancer, getting sick, struggling in one way or another. Horrific accidents that take people that we think are much too young. I wonder how many people have felt the same way. I go down to the gates of Sheol. Sheol is a Hebrew word for the grave. I go to the grave too young, in my prime. In my prime. And then he goes on and says, I said, I will not see Yah, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. What's he saying? He is mourning in this place. Listen, he's crying out, I'm headed to the grave too early. And he's crying out that I wish I had had more time. I wish I had had more opportunity. I wish there was something else I could do. Another chance to serve the Lord. Another chance to do something. But now I'm not going to be able to talk to anybody anymore. I won't be able to observe man anymore, the inhabitants of the world. My lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent. We talked about that today. Remember Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that when this tent is destroyed and it's gone, we have a house not made with hands in the heavens prepared for us by God. Same idea, this tent, the temporary. When the temporary has passed, when the temporary is gone, but you see Hezekiah, where's his focus? It's all on the temporary. And you'll notice something about his song. He's going to say, I... All the way through it. Me, I, me, I, 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 I. Hezekiah, there's more to life than just you. We often find ourselves when we're in the time of sorrow where we get to a place where we get focused on self. And when we're focused on self, we're not focused on the permanent. The permanent is Jesus Christ. What are we focused on? The temporary. We're looking at the storm. What happened when Peter looked at the storm? He sank. What happened when he looked at Jesus Christ? He walked on water. What happens to us if we get our eyes off the Lord and onto our situation? Oh, me, 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 me. Just like Hezekiah. But isn't it cool that even in his me, me-itis, Hezekiah called on the name of the Lord and the Lord answered? The Lord heard. The Lord was there. The Lord didn't give up on Hezekiah. didn't stop doing the work. That, uh, that he was called to do. And he goes on to say, I have cut off my line like the weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. Literally, he's saying, our life is hanging by a thread. Just like that weaver looming. When they get to the end, what's left of what they've created on the loom? There's one thread left for them to cut. And it is over. And here's, this is what Hezekiah is saying. Our life hangs by a thread. It hangs by a thread. But we have today, we have right now. What will we do? How will we spend it? He says in verse 13, I have considered until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. He says there's times in this sickness as I face death that I felt like a, a, a small animal being devoured by a lion. 
I'm just laying there and, and this lion is crushing my bones. And then he goes on to say, not only that, uh, he says, uh, from day until night you'll make an end of me, like a crane or a swallow, so I have chattered. He says, I'm like a bird just chattering. I feel like a bird chattering on, on the branch or a, a small animal but being crunched by a lion. Have you ever felt like that in your life? You ever looked around the circumstances in your life and think, I feel like something's eating me right now. I feel like, like I'm just this chattering bird. Everything I try to do, nothing is being accomplished. All I can do is make noise, but I can't make my situation any better. Hezekiah was there. And he called on the name of the Lord. And the Lord met him in that place. What's important for us to understand as we look at Hezekiah's life? Whether it was God's will for Hezekiah to die or Hezekiah to have 15 more years. Whichever way it was, it was best. What God has for us is best. Everything that enters into our life enters for our good and God's glory. Now that's sometimes a difficult pill to swallow when you're looking at weird situations. Yeah, for example, 13 years old... As a young teenager, I was molested at a camp for special needs children. As I was helping these special needs kid, there was a camp counselor that was there who had ulterior motives. Now, I don't know what he ever did with the special needs kids, but I know what he did with me. And for years, I could say, what possible good could ever come out of that? How could that have been for my good at all? But it was. Why? Because God never wastes a hurt. He don't waste them. There have been lots of young men, young kids, children that have gone through the same thing that I can comfort by sitting down with them and saying, I've been there too. Let me tell you how God got me through it. Let me tell you what's waiting for you on the other side. When you're able to, for the first time in your life, express and experience the freedom of forgiveness. It's not a waste. And it wasn't for my destruction. It was for my good, God's glory. And while I wouldn't sign up to be in that list again, I don't look at it today like some great harm that God did to me. That God somehow had evil in mind for me. Because I know what Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says. The Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That is either always true or you can throw the whole thing away. The Bible says that the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. That means all the time or forget it. And in my life, I've seen it all the time. All the time. We can trust that God knows what he's doing. Now, I can promise you in the midst of all that stuff when it was going on, I didn't see a lot of good. I wasn't very stoked, you know, I had to go through a lot of healing and things that God did in me. And I don't think I told anybody a word about it for probably 10 years. But 
God had a plan. God has a purpose. No matter what you're facing. God has a purpose and we can trust Him. No matter how hard the storm, no matter how difficult the circumstance, God is, is, is speaking to us in His still small voice. Trust me. Trust me. It's going to be okay. And it will. Every single time. Hezekiah feels like everything around him is crushing down upon him. He says, I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward. Oh Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Hezekiah is calling out all these things, all this despair that he feels. And then in the midst of his song, he says, Lord, undertake for me. God, you move for me. I can't change my circumstance. I can't do nothing about it. So the only way that I'll experience victory in it is if I trust you through it. Yea, though we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Scripture says we go through. We don't stop in the middle. Yea, though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. He carries us through. Hezekiah calling out, Lord, undertake for me. So what shall I say? He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live and in these things is the life of the Spirit. So you will restore me and make me, le- make me live. Indeed, It was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. You have cast all my sins behind your back. As far as the east is from the west. So far have I removed your transgressions from you. The beauty of what Hezekiah says in his song here is he talks about repenting and finding from the Lord forgiveness. That he goes to the Lord with an attitude of repentance and with an attitude of repentance, he knows that his sins have been forgiven. And he finds himself reconciled to God, made right with God. He finds himself in a right place. A perfect man? No. But a man in a good place? Yeah. In a good place. The Lord with him. God's going to answer his prayer. The Lord's going to carry him through. The Lord's going to carry us through as well. Verse 18, he says, For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The father shall make known your truth to the children. Listen, this is what Hezekiah is saying. Hey, a dead man can't praise you, God, but I got a second chance. I'm still alive and I'm not going to waste it. Do you hear him saying that? He's saying, listen, the father will make known your truth to the children. Hezekiah don't have no kids yet. He's about to. Manasseh. Not going to turn out so good. But the scriptures lay out for us a little promise that in the dark of night, parents reach out and grasp. 
Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, a lot of people like to sugarcoat it other ways and say, well, that means this or that or the other. Here's how I see it. Hezekiah said he would tell Manasseh. He told Manasseh. What did Manasseh do? He became an evil king. What happened at the end of his life? He repented of his sin and found forgiveness and was made right with God. In the end, Manasseh is saved. Most of his life was spent doing rotten things. But maybe the second chance promise from a father for an unborn child laid the foundation for Manasseh to know when he'd gone so far in rebellion against God that he could still cry out for salvation and God would hear. And that's what God did. So this is what he's saying. This is what I'm going to do with my second chance, with this opportunity. Uh, Look at verse 20. Verse 20 is one you can cut out, post on your fridge, post in your windows. Look what he says. The Lord was ready to save me. Do you believe that the Lord is ready to save you? Do you believe that the Lord is ready to rescue you in the midst of your circumstance? Do you believe that the Lord is ready to be your strength? Do you believe that the the Lord is ready to lift you up? Because it's what it says. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Because God was ready to save. God's ready to save. God's ready to save. But you know that the Lord lays out for us, my ways are not your ways. Most of the time when I'm seeking direction from the Lord, I would like it in a billboard that dropped down out of heaven saying, Jackie, this is from me, the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, thus shall you do. That would be great. But that's not how the Lord speaks to me. Sometimes the Lord speaks to me in the quietness of my own heart. Sometimes the Lord speaks to me when we gather together and pray. Sometimes the Lord speaks to me in the words of a brother or sister that doesn't even know that what they're sharing is exactly what I needed. Sometimes the Lord speaks to me through his word. But God never leaves me an orphan with no direction. If I don't know what to do, the scripture says, call upon the name of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. God will do it. The scripture goes on to say, now, this is cool. Verse 21, now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil and he will recover. So some, whatever was wrong with Hezekiah was some type of a skin disease, leprosy, something where he had boils all over his body. And look at how God healed him. God healed him by having him take a a fig plaster and smear it all over his body. Now, what does that tell me? This is what that tells me. Doctors do not heal. Medicine does not heal. God heals. How does God heal? Sometimes God uses medicine. Sometimes God uses doctors. Sometimes... God uses prayer. But God's the healer. He uses it all. It's not, he doesn't say, he, he's using the, the medicine of the day. Fig plaster, that's what they use. It was like a cure-all. And he says, put the fig plaster on him and he's going to recover. And they put the fig plaster on him and he recovers. 
And he gets better. And Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So he's looking for that sign. I want to go to the house of the Lord. Why does he say that? Because he's unclean. So he can't worship. Leprosy or some type of skin disorder. We read the book of Leviticus, right? Any type of skin disorder until it's cleared up, you can't go to the house of the Lord. Right now, Hezekiah is like, man, tell me when I can go to the house of the Lord. I want to go seek his face. Because God's presence was in that place. Still why we gather today. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. As we gather together corporately, God meets us there. That's Hezekiah's desire. Now check this out. Eight more verses. At that time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Merodach Baladon means a rebel, and he is not Lord. I don't think I let that guy in my house. His name is a rebel, and he is not Lord. And he's coming with these nice letters saying how wonderful Hezekiah is and how happy they are that he's getting better and they give him a present. Now, when Shennacherib came with letters about how everything was going to fall apart, he's going to rip his head off, he immediately went to the Lord. But when they come to him with flattering lips, Hezekiah errs. He doesn't seek the Lord. He just lets him in. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and the gold, the spices, the precious ointment and all his armory and all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in the house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Interesting. The son of the king of Babylon, which by the way is still a hundred years from becoming a world power, comes and Hezekiah shows them all the riches of Judah. What's interesting is in a hundred years, another king is coming. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. Why is he coming? Because of the report that this guy brings back. And Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country, from Babylon. He's kind of proud. Hey, these guys came from a long ways away just to see me. Just to see little old me. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. And Hezekiah, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they will take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. See, Hezekiah was a steward of all these things. But in his stewardship, when he was visited by a guy from a foreign country that had all these sweet things to say, he, he thought, well, it's good. It's all good, right? I don't need to seek the Lord. I don't need to call for Isaiah the prophet whether or not I should bring these guys into my house. I mean, they're nice fellows. I'm going to bring them in. And it was the beginning of what we're going to see in the second half of the book of Isaiah, the Babylonian captivity that's going to take place in 100 years. And the seeds of that captivity were sown just by Hezekiah opening up his door. So often we think, 
What's the big deal? Why should I seek the Lord in everything? Remember, that's what Lot thought when he was looking over to the city of the five plains. And Abraham said, you go wherever you want to live, Lot, and I'm going to go the opposite way. And Lot looked around. He didn't pray. He lifted up his eyes. He looked to Sodom and said, that looks like a great place, great place to raise a family. How'd that work out for him? He lost them all. One decision. Do you think he thought that one decision was going to change everything in his life? No. Do you think Hezekiah thought that a hundred years from now, because of this decision I've made, that my own grandchildren are going to be made eunuchs for the King Nebuchadnezzar? By the way, can you think of one of their names? Daniel? Azariah? Hananiah? Shadrach? Meshach? Abednego? That were taken from the princes of Israel? of Judah and made eunuchs in the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, did God use that for for their good and his glory? Yeah. Every single time. Even when we mess up, God brings it around. God uses it for good. And that's what we need to realize here. When we mess up, when we fall, when we stumble, God picks up the pieces. Our job is to press into him to trust him for everything that we are. So look at verse 8. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, At least there will be peace and truth in my days. Now, when you look at that, you might think, What a knucklehead. Man, that guy seems so selfish. That's what happens if we only have part of the puzzle. So while you're thinking about that, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and we'll get the rest of the story. 2 Chronicles chapter 32 gives us uh, another account of the same event that's going on. So 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 32, 26. Dealing with this exact same period of time gives us a little more, goes a little more in depth to what's going on, but this is what it says. Verse 26 Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride that was in his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So, what Hezekiah is saying here, what the Lord has done is right. And Because he came to the Lord with a repentant heart, that judgment didn't come in his time. It comes a hundred years later. But keep this in mind. For those guys to whom that judgment came a hundred years later, did they have opportunity to repent? Yeah. How do I know? Because God sent prophets to them. Jeremiah. Ezekiel. To call upon the people and say, Repent! Repent, and the Lord will relent from this judgment that has come. But the people would not repent. And when the people will not repent, what happens? The judgment of God comes. God purifies the nation of Israel in their captivity in Babylon. And never again will they turn to false gods as a result. At the same time, never again will they ever really be free. 
Oh, they'll be in bondage to somebody. From Babylon to Rome until 70 AD when they ceased to be a nation. Until 1948. As God begins to do a work again in the nation of Israel. So what's the point for us tonight? As we take a look and we, we open and we study this historical point going through the book of Isaiah. It's simply this. God is calling for his people to put their face toward the wall and pray. To not be afraid of the circumstances that we face. To not be afraid of God's will. To not allow the events that enter into our life to rattle us to the core. But if they do, God's just waiting for us to call upon his name. And he'll meet us there. If my people, called by my name, humble themselves and pray. And I will hear their cries from heaven. And ultimately, I'll heal their land. That's what he did in Hezekiah's time. Even though Hezekiah messed up. God still later on would deliver him from the Assyrians. And God still would hear the cry of his son Manasseh when he cried out in repentance. God wants to hear your cry tonight too. God wants to hear your voice. I've shared with you before, and for Kathy and I, most of our life, most of our adult life, we weren't following the Lord. I didn't start following the Lord or really seeking his face till I was 30. I grew up in the church. When I was 17, I ran. When I was 30, I came back. To me, that was a lot of wasted time, but God doesn't ever waste time. When we came back, finally following the Lord, we had our third child. I shared with you before, my, my third child's the only one I ever named out of the Bible. Joseph. None of my other kids' names you will find anywhere near the Bible. You find them in movies or on TV or in the family, but you will not find them in the Bible. So I named my youngest son out of the word, I'm following God with my whole heart. I'm doing whatever God wants me to do. And my youngest son is born autistic. And I remember when we got the diagnosis when he was three years old, I was thinking he'll never, ever be able to tell me he loves me. He's never going to be able to talk to me. Listen, he didn't talk till after he was nine. He didn't get out of diapers until after he was nine. Change very many eight-year-old diapers. It's a drag. And I remember being angry at the Lord. God, what's up? I'm finally following you. When I was chasing the world, it wasn't like this. Now I'm here. And why did this have to happen? But what's the point? Everything that happens in our life is for our good and His glory. I remember crying out to the Lord and the Lord saying, you just need to understand that you are like your son Joseph to me. And I started to think about that. I remember the day, the first day my son Joseph ran in the room, jumped up on my lap and said, Daddy, I love you, without me having to try to tell him to do it. And I remember the exuberance I felt. I, I could have floated all over the place. I was so stoked. My son was talking to me that we were able to have this kind of a relationship and when, on that day when that happened, the Lord whispered in my ear and said, that's how I feel when you talk to me. And I started to think, you know, I am like an autistic person to the Lord. Because all day long, God is saying, talk to me, spend time with me. I'm right here. And all day long, I'm sitting in my own little world, just rocking, shut off from what God wants to do in my life. 
Well, good news. Sunday nights were not shut off. What we do as we close out Sunday nights, always the same thing. We're going to dim the lights and we're going to spend some time seeking our Lord in prayer. If God lays on your heart to share a verse, we invite you to share a verse. If God lays on your heart to share a word, by all means, share a word. We want you to exercise your spiritual muscles so that you come to a place where you recognize and realize the voice of God when he's, when he's speaking to you. And if you just need to be in the silence and seek his face, and, and then do that by all means. But Sunday night ends when Sunday night ends. For you, Sunday night ends when you walk out the door. Or when we stop praying. So we're going to lift up this time to the Lord and seek his face. Only thing we ask, there's a number of us here tonight. If the Lord lays on your heart a prayer, we just ask that you keep it to around three or four minutes. And then if there's a time of silence, you can always join right back in. But we want to try to give everyone who, who would like an opportunity to pray. So if you join me, let's seek the Lord's face. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time we can come before you. We thank you for the truth of your word, Lord God. We thank you. Everything that touches our life passes through the hands of a God who loves us and who died for us and who knows what we need and what's best. Teach us to trust you. Lord, we pray that you would move among your people. Father, that your spirit would be here. Guide, lead, direct. Lord, that you would touch those who are in need of forgiveness. And Father God, that you would just bring that forgiveness into their life. We pray that you would touch those who are struggling with bitterness and and set them free from the bondage of bitterness. Lord, we pray that you would do the work of reconciliation tonight, changing lives so that they are in a right place with you. Lord God, we come seeking your blessing, your touch tonight. So, Father, we open this time to you that you might move, that you might work, that you might speak as we seek your face.